Merry Christmas. Hello, nerds and nerdettes. Junior ambassadors, boys and girls of all ages. We're nerds, and uh, we're pretty proud of it. You're entering the Nerd Knighted Nations podcast. Never apologize for being All things geek are up for grabs. Because unnerdy people never apologize for being assholes. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Christmas went all through Wayne Manor. Not a bad guy was stirring, so says the scanner. The bat signal sat in the GCPD with care, with hopes I'd see it shine in the cold air. The bats were all nestled high up in our cave, fast asleep in the darkness they brave. With Alfred with my tea and me and my cowl, had just settled down to find something afoul. Oh, and on the back computer, the alarms made such a clatter. I jumped from my chair to see what was the matter. That sure it was one of the Joker's creations. I was relieved. It was just a special episode of the Nerd Out of Nations. <clears throat> wow, as Deadpool would say, stupid. Worth it. Merry Christmas, nerds and nerdettes, and welcome to another special Christmas episode of the Nerd Out of Nations podcast. I am your wannabe Batman or your ambassador to the Midwest United States of America, Jerry Boots. With me as always is Melissa Nicholson. Melissa, how you doing? I'm doing well. I think we got a little <laughs> bit of delay going here already. Uh-oh. Well, buckle up. It's going to be a fun time. <laughs> well, are you ready to, to discuss our second adaptation of A Christmas Carol in two episodes? Oh, I am. <laughs> oh. I'm well prepared to discuss it, too. So. <laughs> awesome. And and we can't do this alone, so we brought in a, another special guest with us. Please welcome from Superhero Stress, Mr. Philip Barker. Philip, how are you doing? I am good. Thank you for the invite. Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. No, seriously, thank, thank you for the invite. I'm happy to be here, and I'm happy to talk about the book that we're going to talk about awesome but uh before we jump into all that phil why don't you tell why don't you tell our uh, listeners about you well um you know you and i started talking a couple months ago uh probably from the real fans group i imagine i think that's where we mutually all met and um just a little background behind me huge superhero fan i have a superhero podcast as jared mentioned and um it's really it's been been a blast putting it together for just the past year or so um favorite hero is batman obviously <laughs> the but, right man uh, for the job today yeah i know right but um truthfully i mean just batman and the, the rest of the dc universe and then subsequently there's also spider-man and a lot of the marvel universe too I, I i mean i have a pretty heavy dc bias but i do love marvel in a lot of ways too so i mean just general cape and cowl superhero fan i kind of got into comics as an adult definitely not as a kid so I, I don't know what that whole you know growing up with comic books is like but i did grow up with cartoons and movies uh, you know books definitely so by the time i was around 
a, a, you know, a young adult by the time I was 19, 20 was when I started reading graphic novels. And um, that's kind of really what what shaped a lot of, um, I guess you could say, my perception of what Batman's supposed to be like in a comic book. But I th- I feel like if you read enough stories and you just kind of take away that whole that that narrow minded box set of, you know, he doesn't always have to operate in the confines of this comic book structure and he doesn't always have to be written the same way in the same kind of stories. And that's why I think the story we're here to talk about today is just, you know, one of those grand night experiences that just works. And it's it's one of the way and it works in a way that you can tell a story about Batman, but also have it subsequently be Christmas and setting and scope and also in tale. So it's a win-win all around. I'm I'm really glad we're here to talk about this book because I, I I think I said before we started recording I hadn't read it for the first. This is my first time reading it, so reading it for the first time, uh, my co-hosts Eric and Joe, Eric Carter and Joe Forno, they were they were telling me, dude, you got to read Batman. Noel Reed Bermeo is just this really savage artist, and he's a great artist, great great artist. I love seeing his work. Um, I think one of my favorite pieces is of him and of Batman and Robin actually going around all of Gotham's goons they're surrounded by all of them. I think that's really one of my favorite pieces by Bermejo, but seeing a whole book written and drawn by him, my God, wow. Beautiful. Ah. (laughs) Chef's kiss. Well said, well said, well said. Uh, Like uh, Phil just alluded to right tonight, we are talking about a graphic novel that truthfully was harder to find than the fucking Ark of the Covenant for fuck's sake. (laughs) We'll let we'll let Melissa tell about her struggles here in a second here about finding it. But uh, we are reading the 2011 graphic novel written and drawn by Lee Bermejo called Batman Noel. And uh, I have to, uh, Philip, you touched on uh, uh, Bermejo's artwork. I also want to touch on, uh, I'm going to butcher her name, Barbara Ciardo, Ciardo. Her color work in this book was just awesome, too. I really love the muted color she had in it. Oh, I'm a huge fan of muted colors. <laughs> really, it, it it fits a good dark gothic Christmassy setting. And uh, if you never heard of this book, essentially Cliff Notes version is uh, Batman is trekking on the Joker, and it's set to a Christmas Carol essentially with this random goon that working for the Joker as the Bab Cratchit. Batman's using him as bait for the Joker. Joker, or I mean, uh. Batman is visited by a spirit being told he'll be visited by three other spirits in the night to come to his senses. You read Christmas Carol. You've seen a version of the Christmas Carol. You know what it's about. Just picture Batman instead of an old ass Ebenezer Scrooge. (laughs) (laughs) So Melissa, before we get into that, why don't you tell everybody your struggles of finding this book? (laughs) Well, what, what I thought would be an easy find, um, I was looking, I I first thought, you know what, I'm going to go look at my local comic shop and see if I can find it there. Um, I had um, talked to the the comic shop owner, actually, because I couldn't find it, so then I asked, and then he said, oh, we can order it in. And fortunately, I haven't um, gotten it in yet, so then my last resort was, okay, I'm going to find it at um, bookstore. Uh, web page so i go there i scroll through 
oh, there's two versions. One was completely sold out, and the other was in stock. So I'm going to click on the in stock one and <laughs> and order it. It came in. I, op- I was super excited. I opened up the box. I looked at the book, which looked pretty normal. I opened the page, a couple pages in, and I'm like, wait a second. There's something wrong. What's wrong? It's in French. Well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, to be fair, (laughs) to be fair, Noel is French for Christmas. (laughs) We. (laughs) So, yeah, I actually went back to the bookstore website and I looked and in the finest of print, they couldn't have made it any smaller, was French. And I was like, ah. Oh. And of course, the, the English version was completely sold out. So, But thank you for the internets. And I was able to find an uh, electronic version of it. And I was able to read it. So, <laughs> It all came to me. It's a Christmas miracle. It is. <laughs> so, uh. Phil, you, bre- you touched briefly on your thoughts of Batman Noel. Why don't you uh, give us a little more in-depth of your thoughts and opinions on this book before we get into a, your overall thoughts and opinions on the book before we dive in deeper? Well, I'm going to be honest. I, I wish I had read it one more time because I got to say, after reading it the first time, after getting it a week ago, I think, yeah, that sounds about right because I messaged you as soon as I got it. And I... I I wish I had read it again and I'm probably going to read it again after we get done recording because it is just really, really, really lovely tale about Batman and just kind of the world that it creates in and of itself was popular enough to spawn pseudo sequels. I think even before and after it with his books like the Joker, I read the Joker book a while ago and I had always been a huge fan of that book and when I had always known about this, but I had never found the time to get it. And then I'd went to my shop. My local shop usually has everything that I get and they didn't have it. I was like, well, shit, now I got to order it. So I ordered it off Amazon and I was really excited to read it because this was like the, the this was, I think, the book that put him on like the Batman map because he hadn't drawn Batman like in a in a bigger scale. You only see Batman, I think, in one or two pages at the end of Joker. It's very brief. So for him to do an entire story with Batman as a central focal point, also being like doubly as like a um, a, a stand, not necessarily a stand, but like he's the scrooge of the story. I, I just think it's it's really, really it's it's now probably up there with some of my favorite takes on on a Christmas Carol. And I'm a huge fan of like the Flintstones Christmas Carol. And um, oh, God, there was one other one that I really do like. And I am a fan of the Muppets Christmas Carol, so how can how can no one be a fan of that? I mean, you're you're insane if you don't like that. But <laughs> no, I I I think Batman Noel is really yeah, it definitely earned its place. I mean, I'm a huge Batman fan, so of course I'm gonna like it. But you know, the fact that it's just written really really well, the art is absolutely impeccable, both in but what you see of Gotham and what you see of Bruce in the cave and Alfred and like everything about this book just is it makes a Batman fan like I really want to see this in like an animated form or even maybe a live action form like it's it's just that good nice 
I agree. I'd, love, I'd like to see it animated too, but don't let Bruce Tim direct it because then somebody will be getting laid in it because he loves to put that adult themes in his animated ones lately. Well, I mean, he'd probably do a good job with Batman Dam, but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like a little bat dong. <laughs> Mr. Wayne. <laughs> Wayne. But it's. Melissa, overall thoughts and opinions on Batman Noel? Because you're also a first time reader of this one. Yeah. Um, it was one that I had actually, um, it was one that I, I had seen actually in, in my, like Philip, I saw it in my local comic shop and I sort of looked at it, had some interest in it, but I should have bought it at the time because then I would have had an English version opportunities, but you know, (laughs) um, but yeah, it was something that looked kind of interesting and I really liked that the, when I finally got to read it. Um, I, I like the approach that it was the, um, so the approach that it was taking using superheroes in, you know, the classic Christmas story and, um, you know, it ma- really makes a, it's really a dark, gritty, you can almost smell the world. <laughs> it's just, it's very real, like in its imagery and, um, you know, the story it's telling and I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a very well constructed story, and the art is just amazing. Um, it's just it's so realistic. Of um, it, it really brings the, these characters to life, and um, yeah, I I really really enjoyed it. It I thought oh a Christmas story Batman in it. It's like oh that's gonna be a little bit sort of cheesy or corny and it certainly was not it was it's a really amazing story and um i definitely it's going to get a few reads out of me because it's uh it's great and it and it definitely is up on my list of my favorite um incur- uh version my favorite versions of a christmas carol because like for me i i love a muppet's christmas carol that's one of my favorites, but then I also love the black and white version with Alistair Sim. I really, really love that movie. So this definitely is up there with my my favorite Christmas Carol stories. So yeah, it was uh, really, really good. Um, I I enjoyed it, and um, yeah. Well. Unlike the other two, I actually have read this before because I bought it on Comixology a few years ago when they're having this huge sale. But uh, I did want to have my own physical copy of it for this. And like the others, I've seen it around in stores before. But when time came to get it for the show, I believe I told Melissa and Phil I tried five different comic shops and three bookstores and could not find it anywhere. I had to order it online from a comic book store in New York and have it shipped to Iowa. And it took a little over a week. So unless Tim was going to try to go buy it in that Long Island bookshop, I might have stolen it out from underneath them. But uh, it was a story. I read it back when I first got it digitally and I did really enjoy it. And something I wanted to touch on again sometime in the future and when Melissa and I were looking for Christmas ideas for the show I'm like hey how about we try this Batman Noel thinking it would be easy to find how wrong was I (laughs) but I thank you guys for all the effort you put forth for this episode that was was not an easy task so thank you both 
I just had to spend a little money and get a whole new book I hadn't read before. No big deal. <laughs> no, really. It, uh, it, great book. Thank you for, you know, inviting me, inviting me on the show and having us read this book to begin with. Because had I not, I'd just be more ignorant of it, not knowing about this story. Now I want to see more of that world. Mm-hmm. I agree. And I, and I really like how well that the Christmas Carol story fits into it or how well he weaved it into it. Cause you like Melissa said, like uh, it'll weary at first, but I guess if you sit down and take the right time to do it, it weaves in pretty well. And in many ways I can see Bruce as a, a good Ebenezer Scrooge, at least when he is in the cowl, he does, he is stubborn. He is curmudgeon. So it's, it's a very good fitting for him. And, um, and like I said, the writing and the artwork just pulls you right in. Artwork is a big thing for me to pull me into a story. For example, like The Dark Knight Returns. I love to read The Dark Knight Returns or The Long Halloween, but Tim Sale and Frank Miller's artwork, it just it just makes me feel like I'm pulling through the story longer just because the artwork does not suck me in. But Liam Rahal's art with the... Uh, Barbara Ciardo's uh, colors just suck you right in. I hang on every panel, every word. I just want to keep going to the next page, the next page, the next page, because I love that artwork. It's right up there with, like, my pedestals are right around the lines of uh, Jim Lee, Greg Capullo, and uh, Joel Jones when it comes to artwork. Those are the artists that can just pull me right in with their stuff. And Lee Marejo's been no different. Uh, I have read the Joker graphic novel too, and another great one that's a real page turner. Um, I think I bought it when it first came out because a guy told me it was like a pseudo sequel to The Dark Knight. Pseudo sequel, maybe not. But um, I can see how it is. I'd say it's more influenced um, by The Dark Knight than I would be a sequel because it's the Joker, you know, this world in in lee bermejo's batman that i i guess you could essentially call it because he's created a, a rich rich world that's kind of inspired from that book and that version of the joker is heavily inspired by heath ledger it's pretty clear yeah. through mm-hmm. the art you know that, that not only does lee bermejo lee bermejo has this really interesting way of making art look real that much much like alex ross but that's the thing. Like you can tell it's Lieber Mayo, and then you can also tell when Alex Ross is Alex Ross. They have this their very distinct styles of making their their colors and their shades work, but I think that also depends on who Lieber Mayo gets to put in the colors. Uh, forgive me, Jared. Who is how do you pronounce the artist's name? I wanna say it's Ciardo. It's C I A R D O. Yeah. I'm taking a shot in the dark. I feel really bad because impeccable, absolutely impeccable color work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Barbara Ciardo. Just yeah. absolutely phenomenal. And again, you know, when you read a story like this or a story like Joker or even um, I think Lex Luthor or Batman Damned, it really. Like Jared said, it really pulls you in, but it pulls you. I think it pulls you in because it really does feel like you're looking at an, what would be another world, like as if you're looking into a mirror world, as if you're looking into like another 
what could be a realistic setting. I think for me, what really works well about this is how well you apply the differences, or not really the differences, but you apply each character in the story to who they are opposite in the Christmas a Christmas Carol. And much like Jared's point, Batman is probably the perfect character to do as Scrooge, and then using just this regular moronic peon to as as a means to an end to try to capture the Joker, and you have him also have a child who's essentially the the young Tim of the the tiny Tim of the story that just makes it even better because anyone who knows Batman's origin story knows exactly what happened to him when he was tiny Tim's age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking of Bruce at a young age, when we talk about the artwork, this is probably one of the best renditions of the Crime Alley incident that I've seen in comic form, too. I love it. It's just like the, the sepia tones with just the reds splashed in there. Beautifully done. Not since uh, Zack Snyder did the Crime Alley at the beginning of BVS have I been so impressed by a portrayal of Batman's origin. I think there's room for it to be interpreted and be celebrated in in a multitude of ways. I mean, like you just said, it's really, it's done well here. I think it's done pretty well in year one. And of course, Zack Snyder's Batman vs Superman. That's a pretty unforgettable way of how the Waynes died. And it, it's very, very, when you make it visually captivating, it makes it more impactful. Agreed. Absolutely. Yeah, like that. That's for like with me when you know I'm I'm looking at you know like graphic novels and things. For me to to the the big reason for me to pick a story to read is like is the artwork and the you know the the col- the use of color, the use of like the the shading and everything and just that style. It just if it's you know if it's either like a darker thing or if it's bold and bright. Um, it's going to draw me in, you know, and especially like with this one, like just the cover art alone is just a, um, amazing and so real. And throughout that, it's just like, holy crap. Like it's almost like you're looking at a, a photo, like somebody took a picture of it and you're looking at like a real person, but obviously, you know, you're not, but yeah. Um, that's what I really love about this, um, graphic novel is just the, the art alone is just incredible. It just, you almost just, you don't want to read it. You just want to look at the pictures and the art because it's just, you know, so beautiful to look at. Like you want to spend time in this world because it feels so vivid and real. Let me ask you guys this. How do you guys feel about just the overall look of of Batman's suit and the the cave and basically all of Batman's aesthetic throughout this entire story? Because this is really the story where you see how would Batman operate fully throughout Gotham City. And I, th- I think his suit here just, uh, it, it looks so real, but it also looks like it has that just bit of, bit of fantasy to it, just a smidge of it. But even still, like, I, I really love the chess piece and how the back kind of sticks out a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. I, I really like it. I think it it looks very, um, like, it's it's very worn in. It's not your brand new sparkling suit, you know, like it's, it's not, it's this, it's been used a couple hundred times and he's been, it's been through stuff and 
it's you know survived all of what Batman has done, and I, I really like the the look of it. I think it it matches the world that's been created around it. Um, he never seems sort of out of place. Like oh, here's this you know. He 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 never seems misplaced in this in this world. I think it his whole look it really fits, and um, yeah, it really um, he he looks like a more aged like Bruce Wayne as well. He's he's it shows that he's been through a lot, almost like you know the um, like Ben Affleck Batman, where it's like you know twenty years of stuff and you know what he's been through. Like it shows. And that's what it's, I get in here, too, where it's just his from his, you know, the cowl and everything that he wears, it shows. And, yeah, I um, I really love the look of it. Uh, I had to go to the part of the book where it popped in my mind about how just the on the suit alone looks. Almost like a, it had to, I fast forward to a probably about the time when the Joker's dragging him through the cemetery. Spoiler alert. I just love the look. It's almost like a Kevlar type of texture, but I just love the detail on it. It's been worn. It's weathered. So he's taken a beating in this stuff for years and years, but just how you can see the lining of the padding and everything in it. So, you know, it's just not him right there. It's almost... It's not quite like how back in with the 80s when they had uh, Keaton in the suit where they had to pad it so he looked muscular. This looks like he has legit muscle to go with it, but he's got that padding to protect him too. And it still makes him look big, intimidating. Just the texture. The texture alone just looks great. I agree, yeah. I think that's also one thing that really works for the story is how how textured and realistic the suit looks. Because it's funny, you can see... Bermejo's influence in, say, The Dark Knight, but you can also kind of see the cowl influence in Batman versus Superman and also some of the, the bottom suit a little bit as well, maybe even some of the cape. And then even into Pattinson, like in Noel here, in Noel, it, his suit does feel like it is made and built and put together to an extent, kind of like Pattinson's is in The Batman, the upcoming movie. So. I, again, I, I think that also speaks to the texture of it. I mean, it, it just looks, you know, real world put together and tactical and effective. I also really love the Robin suit. Spoiler. Yeah. Well, that uh, brings me one of the questions I written I wrote down for this. Um, which Robin do you guys think is Jacob Marley? Do you think it's Dick or do you think it's Jason? Yeah. I'm personally going to say dick and only because there is no established nightwing as far as i know in this realm or in these stories i could be wrong i just don't know and also be because it doesn't really say one way or the other and it just feels like it was dick just my two cents well put that as a quotation it just feels like dick Philip Barker. <laughs> Y'all can quote me on that one. Go right ahead. <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> Just a feeling. It's dick. <laughs> it's definitely dick. <laughs> uh, 
it looks Grayson. like a dick and it feels like dick, it's definitely a dick. Grayson. And there's your daily Melissa breaking <laughs> for Internet Nations episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, while Melissa's trying to gather herself, I'll I'll go ahead. Um, I when I first heard the story, I thought it could have been Dick as well, but also I think the first thought that came to my head was Jason. I, true, Jason hasn't been established in this universe, or it, neither as Tim or Damien. But um, I could have seen it either way because you look at the the Rocky outfalling that Dick and Bruce had before Dick left to become Nightwing. But then again, I look at the same way too of how Jason ended up dying. But the way I think I, the way I could could agree it could be Dick is the fact that the way Bruce was, he could have been this Scrooge too to Dick Grayson to the point where it did push him away. Whereas the fact where, let's say it, Jason got himself killed more than anything. It was just Jason's hot-headedness and uh, stubbornness that got him killed more than Dick or Bruce pushing him, pushing him the way he did with uh, with Dick did. I think personally, um, if, I mean, headcanon for me, yeah. I mean, the idea of the dead Robin being Jason, obviously that's something you can you know totally apply one way or the other. But I think just the overall idea of batman having a dead robin it that's an idea that you can play with in a couple different ways because we've seen it done in a couple different ways and it's supposed to tug at strings you know emotional strings in a bit of a different way because yeah when it's jason todd you know he got himself killed to an extent it was his fault uh depending on which version of the death you go by whether it's the actual comic and death in the family or under the red hood the animated movie um I just think the idea of a dead Robin in general, it, it makes for an interesting perspective because it really can depend on if, say, if it is Dick, kind of like, I, I, I don't know how many people are aware of this, but I know um, Zack Snyder always intended that the dead Robin was Dick Grayson in his movies. And I almost do kind of feel like the dead Robin here is Dick because if it's Dick, if Dick is the dead Robin, it would definitely impact more. And I actually, to, to reinforce this even more, I, to the, earlier the, earlier today, during my shift in between calls and on my breaks, I was reading um, the Tom Taylor run of Injustice. And in that run, um, you know, anyone who's familiar with the video games, the Joker pulls a fast one on Superman. Lois Lane dies with his, with, she's pregnant with his child too. So, uh, kills the Joker. And in that story, also Nightwing dies. And it's, Spoiler alert, also at the hands of another Robin, Damian Wayne. So the idea of Robin in general or Dick Grayson being dead is very impactful in the sense that that is Batman losing his son. It is the reverse of it's it's actually, yeah, it's it's kind of the reverse of his own tragic origin in which he lost his parents. And now him, the adoptive father lost his adoptive child not only his adoptive child his first adoptive child that is devastating and i think it works here because you know 
he's the Scrooge of the story, but not only because we don't really get a hint of any other Robins and that's fine. That's really not really the point here, but the point is like, I think that the fact that Jacob being the stand and being the Robin being Dick, it just kind of makes sense. Well, you could chalk it up to whichever Robin it wants to be, but I think just the idea and the, and the look of it really, it does feel inspired by Dick Grayson's outfit more than anything. So I think really that's what it really is for me. But the idea of him, of the former partner being the, you know, the former partner, it just it just makes sense. Just from a yeah. simple streamlined storyline perspective, a lot of other people could give a damn about Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Damian Wayne, Carrie Kelly, because, you know, general audiences or whoever, general fans, do they really give a damn about those characters, those other Robins? I don't know. That's that's questionable. Fans like you, me, Melissa. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think it's um, I for me like especially when you first see him come into like on the, the one of the pages in the book and you first see him, it really I got the sense that it was Dick Grayson. Like it just it, simply by his look and having read other comics with him in it, it just was like yeah, that's him. And it, and it really makes sense, like you said, Philip, that you know being you know the former partner and now being sort of a former partner in this story, it just makes sense. And it's a very sort of impactful decision. And I think too, you know, P- Dick Grayson, I think is, you know, maybe not so, maybe not well known as the, is the right word, but people know him a little bit more and maybe care for him a little bit more. So then seeing him in this story, they're going to be like, Oh, there's, you know, the character in the book. But, um, but yeah, the, I I think it's I think it's Dick Grayson. I don't see it. To me, it doesn't really make any sense to have the other like to have Jason Todd or whoever in it um, in the story. But I mean, it could work either way. I think you just having that. You know, um, I think it in generalities. I think it makes sense to have um, Robin as you know the Jacob Marley character. I think it really makes it's it's perfect. Um, you know, having, you know, Robin worked with, with Bruce Wayne, with Batman, knows him and would be the person to come in and, and, you know, warn him about things and be concerned and all that kind of thing. So I think that makes perfect sense. And I, I'm in agreement with everybody else. It seems that it's, uh, uh, Dick Grayson. And I went back. I went back and took a look at the other oh, look at the artwork again, just to see if the suit rang any bells. And it, it very much reminds me of. Uh, it's got shade of uh, Burt Ward's costume from the '60s television show. And if you look at the Batman artwork in that in those panels too, it very much resembles Adam West's art or with the costume cowl that uh, he wore. And also kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Jim Lee's uh, artwork he did for All Star Batman Robin the Boy Wonder. Which is another Dick Grayson story. I was also thinking it. The suit is a little reminiscent, just a little bit of um, the alternate Earth Robin when Robin is Bruce Wayne and he's got the longer stockings, and they're I think they're yellow or green. It's a little reminiscent of that too. Yeah. Just just from you know the waist down. But again, I I really do appreciate just kind of how real world the take and uh, take is on the costumes. And it does kind of feel like that suit is very reminiscent of a former acrobat, too. Yeah. 
it's it's interesting that it's like it just this that you know it really makes you think um and that's what i really liked about this story was that you know it just it makes you think of these characters a little bit more and that yeah you know bruce wayne's a little bit like a ebenezer scrooge and and so it just all the characters they picked i think they picked well and especially like with um like dick grayson if they or maybe it was more of inspired. I don't know, but I think it it works perfectly. So, yeah, a lot of I, thought was put into the story. I think. I also love other one other little detail throughout this entire story. The majority of it, Batman is battling a cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's great. And he is bad at not covering that cough. He is not helping stop the spread. <laughs> a lot of open mouth coughing. Like cover your mouth, Batman. Come on. Well, to be fair, this was. To be fair, eight years ago, eight years ago, <laughs> before COVID, before the dark times. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I was just, I was, I was finishing up the book today on my lunch break. I just helped my nose all these panels and open mouth coughing everywhere. I'm like, oh man, can't be reading this in a pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> no, probably not. This is probably the one Batman book you don't want to read in public during a pandemic. No, <laughs> especially one that revolves around a respiratory virus. God, I'm so sorry. I'm going to hell. <laughs> Santa is giving me coal for Christmas. That's for sure. <laughs> well, you weren't the only that had that thought, so I guess I'll be joining you. Very true. Well, how well represented do you think the three ghosts are in this story with uh, Catwoman being the ghost of Christmas past, uh, Superman being the ghost of, ghost of Christmas present, and the Joker being the ghost of Christmas future? How well represented do you think those characters are? Or do you think there's other characters in the DC universe that could have been swapped in and out that made a better fit? So I think... Um... I think it works for for each character, especially um, how they play it out with Joker. I think just how that all is is played out just is perfect for him because it's just very much something that you know Joker would do, and um, I, th- I think it works for him being the, you know the, uh, future ghost. Um, I think it works very well. And then like Catwoman, like her, her relationship with, with Batman. Um, I think it very much works well with her being the the past. And um, I, I don't know who, I, who I would see replacing these characters. I don't know. Or if it would work as well as it does um, with the characters that they chose, but I really like the characters they picked and, and what they, and how, and how they, sort of play it out with, with each character. So, Well, do you see Gordon interchanging with any one of those? Maybe present or past? Because he's been with Gordon and Batman have worked together so long. Yeah. I mean, I could see him being... Maybe, maybe past... But I could also see him being um, a bit of a, like a Jacob Marley, too. Having worked with him and everything, I could see him being that as well. 
So. So in order, um, I just kind of had to flip through it again because I just had to refresh myself. I I remember it off the top of my head immediately when you said how you, how do you feel about the three? Immediately the first one to come to mind was Superman. That was the big surprise for me. Spoilers. Whoops. Anyway, um, <laughs> the Joker caught me by surprise as well. Uh, but if you think about how all three of them are, I, I also don't disagree about Jim Gordon potentially being a, a, a good ghost for Christmas past or present. That could have very well easily worked. Um, I think Catwoman works as as a great representation for the ghost of christmas past because in in, in again a very a sort of simplified way but in, in like a, a good way in a way that you can make batman think backwards who's the person who could bring him back to that point and it's more than likely not catwoman because they have such a rich history of going back and forth and chasing each other whether whether or not their relationship would work with or without the confines of the law above or below them or whatever or even if batman would have to go to such extremities to keep her away from harm's way or she would go out of her way to do something so dastardly to keep him from losing himself to, or some extent or another i just think that the the characters as a whole and their 80 years of being around that their history their their overall history it's it it best informs that her being the ghost of christmas past would be the one to make him think about the past as far as superman goes he's very much a perfect representation for being in the present because what their work what them what they do what batman and superman do they are two sides the same coin but they deliver justice in very different ways but at the end of the day they have the ultimate means of doing the right thing and being upstanding decent heroes so it, that, I think Superman being the one there to kind of pick him up at when he's at his worst, when his cough is literally just like, you know, getting the worst and worst of him, him to be the one to pick Bruce up and kind of remind him like, hey, you know, we're still here. We can still, you know, we can still do good, you know, like, you know, don't let this beat you. And I think the Joker kind of thinking back to just the the the, the story of itself of Christmas Carol the ghost of Christmas future, I always interpret it as, as in a way death and who brings death to Batman's door the most, the Joker. So the idea of the Joker dropping him in a grave to rot alive. That's sick. That's the Joker. That's, that's the Joker's sick idea of Batman spending his Christmas alone. And it, 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 and it's also in a way the Joker bringing Batman to, Once again, that's a and that's always the ultimate joke for him too, is being the man that he wants to be the one that killed Batman. And that of the three, that one I think Joker being the Ghost of Christmas feature probably fits the best of all three. Um I don't have problems either way with Catwoman or Superman, but I just think Joker is the better fitting one. Uh, Phil listen to you talk about how Catwoman how she brings up the past and I do love in the artwork how they show um interactions with them from the past in the vintage catwoman costume and having Robin tied up with the tiger. Just going back to Lee Bermejo's awesome, awesome artwork. And uh I also got shades of uh when Batman's giving chase to her 
and the gargoyle breaks on him. I got a flashback to Batman Hush, too. I don't know if it was quite the nod to Hush when he's chasing Catwoman. And uh, what's his, I can't think of his name right now. Uh, when Hush cuts his line, ends up falling down. Dude, it, it felt like an exact uh, homage to that. But when did Hush come out? Like 2011, 2012? That had to be somewhat close to this, wasn't it? Uh, prior, I think. Hush is 2006. Oh, was it that earlier? That much earlier? Yeah. Hush is, or it might be a little later. I'm not 100% on. Published 2002, so I was off by a couple oh. years. October 2002 until September 2003. 608 Holy to hell. 619. Yep. Holy hell, time flies. How's that book almost 20 years old already? Got me. <laughs> I can uh, tell you. Yeah, but I, I could see why Catwoman would be a good fit for the for that. Um, but I could see Gordon being a fit for Chris Ghost of Christmas Past too, just because he was there, boots in the ground when Batman was just coming in, so he knows how Batman was when he first started, and he can also help ground Batman to get him to back to where he was. So whenever Batman starts to push that line a little bit farther, mm-hmm. he can be that lightning rod in reality and say, "Hey, man." You're taking it too far. This is how it used to be. Remember where how things used to be. It's not like that anymore. Bring it back a little bit. But uh, I really don't know who could have been the future unless they would have done like a, if they would have established another Robin that could have been another a Robin or maybe even a Batgirl could have done that too. If we have a Batgirl established in Parejo's universe, be the Ghost of Christmas feud of uh, Ghost of Christmas Present with him in the now. Because even then, she usually seemed to be one of those people that could keep Bruce sane for the most part. Or, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Uh, Maybe Batgirl would have been a good Ghost of Christmas feature if she had been established in this this universe. No, I think you had it right the first time. It's the Joker. Joker's probably the best pick. Yeah. I, I meant Batgirl for Christmas present. Yeah, but Batgirl definitely for future. Um, it's got all tongue-tied. Been podcasting too much. <laughs> oh, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> the, prep, the prepping for it. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's true. So does uh, anybody have any favorite specific panels of artwork? Or specific parts of the story they want to touch on? I think for me, it's easily got to be Bruce in the cave after planting the tracker on... Um, I forget the character's name, but basically the stand-in for Bob Cratchit. And it, I I, I, th- I just, you know, I'm a huge fan of the cave. Just a big fan of the Batcave. And to see, you know, the old suit and the newer suit and Robin's suit. And just to also see, like, Bruce... In that in that Scroogeish look, where he's got the kind of graying hair going on, and he's suffering from his cold, but he's got this just really big, beautiful s- computer in front of him, and he's just kind of speculating on how he's going to take the Joker out. That that's probably my favorite panel of the whole book. But um, I also love the intro, the beginning pages of the book where he's running on the rooftop too. I think that's a good, some good, good Libra Mayo art as well. Excellent. 
Yeah, I think the I think the guy's name is just I think they just call him Bob for the sake of the story anyway. So, and Melissa, what about you? Um, I really liked uh, sort of near the end when Batman is about to climb out of the grave like that, and then how ha- he's got that headstone behind him that's you know here lies a bat. He died boring and predictable, and nobody loved him. And then he's, you know, about to climb out of the grave and, you know, the there's the couple things saying, you know, if you had the chance to change, to get it right, would you fight for it? And you see him, he's like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, get out of that and, you know, make this right. And it's just such a powerful image. Even alone, just seeing the, the, the image of the, the headstone itself is quite the impactful image. Like, you know, I really stopped when I got to that part, I really stopped and just looked at that and it was just such a a moment, you know, and then him getting out of the grave was just that was yeah. I really love that that part in that imagery here. But in that Uh, I'm not too far off of you. I I really enjoy that splash page of a uh, Joker driving dragging Batman through the cemetery, and you get that shadow that the gates cast on him, the cemetery gates. Fuck yeah, Pantera! Uh, <laughs> the shadow that casts on the ground there. I just I'm a sucker for good splash pages, much like a uh, Superman swallowing the uh, taking care of that t- the missile and Dark Knight Returns, just having a great fucking splash page like that and i do love all that stuff too of batman being in the shallow grave it reminded me a lot of a uh, batman r.i.p if any of you guys ever read that one so i'm thinking I he gets i think I... he gets buried alive in that one too that's a grant morrison story like, i felt shades of that of that story teasing there with batman crawling out of the grave and i I do oh, like you know what? This. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I like that. Come to think of it, yeah, I remember that now. I I remember reading Batman R.I.P. and um, oh God, what was after R.I.P. The Black Glove, or was that before R.I.P.? I remember reading all that stuff, and then also getting to finally read uh, Bruce Wayne: The Road Home. That was Grant Morrison's one hell of a writer. I'll I'll say that. <laughs> I, I do love Lisa Grant Morrison. Um. Also an acquired, he's a very acquired taste too. It seems like depending on which characters he's working with, what universe he's working in. But, um, you want to hear something insane? Grant Morrison is actually some of the first Batman comics I started reading. And no shame in there. No, it definitely is uh, quite an interesting path to set someone on, especially when it comes to reading Batman. Because if you yeah. start, if you start reading like Grant Morrison stuff, I mean that's very very intricate it's very you know depending on where you are in, in as far as like that run is and i think in r.i.p and the black glove and stuff like that he was doing like uh, his own take on batman zero and r and i was like what the shit is this <laughs> then i had to like go on the internet and look what it was and i was like oh my god this is insane <laughs> then i would kind of Mor- find a way to read grant morris knows too. his properties man he knows this he does his homework when it comes to his writing and stuff and uh but uh, I also do love the stuff with uh, Batman and Superman when they're spying on Bob, uh, watching him, and it—it's just—it's that true Bruce just being stubborn, convinced this guy is a criminal, 
carrying along the story when he finally has his epiphany and he decides to be the guy like, hey, when uh, so when the Joker shows up to Bob's apartment, threatening to kill him, he had the, sh- the shoes on the other foot and he's like, okay, you have a chance to be a hero. So this guy, he was essentially written off as scum mere hours ago. He's here trying to save him, not physically save him, but try to save him emotionally. Mm-hmm. I just love how that it's a believable uh, it's a believable uh, epiphany for him. It just doesn't come out of nowhere. Um, much like we talk about how the Grinch in the original 66 Grinch, the epiphany just comes out of nowhere. He just he hears the who's singing. All of a sudden, oh, I've turned. But with this, it's much it's more earned. We also talk about last week with Michael Lyons and Bill Murray and Scrooge, how when after he has his epiphany, he's just rambling on incoherently. So what the hell are we trying to get here? Like, okay, Bill, let's uh let's make a let's make it so we can get some cuts in here so we make this uh we can just thread this along here. But um but the way uh Marejo writes this out, it threads together so beautifully to where he makes that believable Scrooge turn. And um, it's a beautiful ending to an awesome story. And he does. Did they ever establish at the beginning of the book that Bob worked for Bruce Wayne? Because they said he had a job, but he wasn't making much, very much money. But now, see, at the end of the story, he's getting benefits, 401k and all that from Wayne Enterprises. So I don't know if he worked for. Anything for Wayne or Wayne Enterprises to begin with, but it's something I just missed. But yeah, it's not really clear if the character of Bob in the book, which uh, to your point is very well threaded from the beginning, because at the beginning of the story, he's just written off as, you know, as far as Batman's concerned, he's Bob is written off as a criminal who's just being used so he can track the Joker. And then when time comes for the story to meet its climax, he is faced with Bob. He is faced with a, he's faced with a very practical decision, or I guess not really practical, but he's faced with a very, you know, real world situation. And in his situation, as it stands right there, he's struggling to even get a Christmas tree. And so him and Tim can have a great Christmas. Um, the Joker just broke into his house because the Joker thinks he stole his money and threatened his family with, you know, a gun. So at that point, if Batman comes crashing through a window and stops all this and Bob's in a position to where he can potentially end the Joker once and for all. Now, granted, Bob's probably not thinking about how much of a greater good it's going to do for Gotham, but at that point, he's probably more worried about his son's safety. Mm-hmm. So, at that point, he's more concerned about trying to keep his son safe and maybe just sick and tired of being so down on his luck, he can finally make a change by taking out the Joker. And it's Batman, the one who initially from the beginning of the story has written this character off to be nothing more than just a means to an end is now rediscovering his humanity and going, no, don't do this. Show your son you can be a hero. Show them you can be the way your son looks at me. Because it's also made abundantly clear in the beginning of the story that Tim, Bob's son, looks up to Batman, whom just gave, at the beginning of the story, Bob kind of a spook kind of beat him a little bit so to have bruce bruce wayne be the benefactor at the end of the story and be like scrooge was to bob in the christmas in a christmas carol and give this bob 
a job, a 401k, a Christmas story, and have them like close out the story with Bob and Tim on his lap and like, I'll never forget telling the story, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, it's a, it's, it, that, man, how, that's a great ending. That's a really great ending. Well said. Thank you. I try. <laughs> You're uh, good no. with words, Philip. <laughs> uh, some might disagree, but that's neither here nor there. Maybe it's just me, but I was looking at the artwork for Bob, and I was trying for what he reminded me of. It kind of reminded me. You guys ever seen Corpse Bride? Yeah. Yeah. He reminds me of the town crier in the face oh. quite a bit. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that, but it's very funny. I just mm-hmm. came to mind. Random thought. Maybe Maria, maybe he's a Tim Burton fan. Who knows? Maybe. But uh did you guys catch any of the references to Batman creators past in the story? I did catch the spraying reference. That was that was lovely. Dick spraying auctions, and did you see the Bob Kane one? I think so. But refresh my memory. Uh, there were in one of the middle s- scenes where everybody's right. They show everybody riding. There's a Kane electronics store. In oh, the that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I remember. I saw that one, but the other one, yeah, I missed that one completely. Which... Usually I notice yeah. these things, but. <laughs> well, at first it said uh, spraying auctions because that's where he goes to meet Catwoman. And then there's a sign in the background that says spraying auctions, reference to Dick Spraying. But uh, that's about all I have. Does anybody else have anything they want to discuss before we move on? Uh, you know, I, I think just closing thoughts, first time read. Uh, any Batman fan who hasn't read this and is looking for a great Christmas story, by all means, check it out. It's worth it. Absolutely worth it. The art's worth the price of admission alone. Absolutely. Like, the, the imagery and just how realistic it is, and I, I really love how how dark and gritty it is, and it's just a, it's an interesting take on a classic story, and it all weaves together so beautifully, and, um, yeah, any Batman fan that has not read this, read it because it's it's really really good and it's far from, you know, the corny thing that you might think it would be. It's well constructed. The characters they picked to be each character was well done, and um, yeah, it's it's definitely worth a read or a few reads. <laughs> <laughs> I can't agree more with both my uh, co-hosts right now. Uh, if you, It's a great adaptation of A Christmas Carol, for one. So if you're always looking for something to add to that, this is the book for you. Also, if you try to fit as much, not necessarily superhero Christmassy stuff in your holiday season, but just Batman in general Christmas stuff, like Batman Returns, uh, Christmas with the Joker, uh, Holiday Nights, this is a perfect addition to throw into your mix there. Uh, hell, if your kids are old enough, you can even read it to them like a Christmas Eve style story. It's, it's perfect. And the, the artwork is 
like Phil, Philip said, it's worth the price of admission alone. Now, I'd, if I didn't cherish it so much, I'd like want to tear pages out of it and hang it on my walls right now. I love it that much. That that image of the Joker dragging Batman through the cemetery, that is artwork. That belongs, in my opinion, it belongs in the Louvre. It's that beautiful in my eyes. So if you're a huge lover of Batman like we all are and love Christmas and want to find another way to bring the two together, this is definitely the book for you. And hopefully you have better luck finding it now than we did, but uh, it's definitely, it's de- it was worth the hunt. I'm glad both my uh, co-hosts enjoyed it enough that it was worth the painstaking searching for it and having to pay for it. It makes it all worthwhile in the end. Sometimes you throw the money out for this, a book and it's not even close, but here I like to see this adapted into an animated, like you said earlier. I like to see this adapted into a an animated series. I'd I'd like to see this as a live action personally, just based on, like the imagery and everything. I think it would be beautiful um, as a live action, but that's just me. <laughs> I I don't know if it would have the same impact animated as it would um, live action, but. Yeah, I think it would be pretty cool to see. I think if you're going to do it either way, it's going to depend on, number one, how you do it. Number two, if you're talking about doing an animation, I think the most important thing you'd want to keep intact, uh, Warner Brothers Animation, for the most part, whenever they adapt something as far as animation goes, they usually do, they try to keep it in line with how the art was presented in its original form. Sometimes that works out better. Sometimes it works out worse. Um, a really good example of it working in their favor was, uh, I think, The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and 2. And then you have something that didn't necessarily work, like uh, The Killing Joke, which, if you look at everything past the first 20 minutes or so with Barbara Gordon and just look at The Killing Joke story, yeah, it's a beat-for-beat beat thing of The Killing Joke, but the art doesn't really speak much to Brian Bullen's original work. Whereas The Dark Knight Parts 1 and 2, you look at those movies and it's literally like watching that book play in front of your face. So I think if you're going to do Batman Noel, you have to, you have, it would be, it would be kind of difficult because you have to make the animation look near realistic. And I don't know that animation's quite there on that, on this kind of, on this kind of scale. Like to try and interpret Alex Ross or or Lee Bermejo in an animated form. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm just saying it's 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 it feels a little difficult even for right now. Um, I also think if you're going to do stories like this, you really need a, a a very veteran voice to voice Batman and everyone else in this story as well. Mm-hmm. So you would need definitely someone who's been in the voice acting career for a long time and then as far as live action goes um that's a little tougher because when it comes to live action usually a director and in this case since it's batman related if you're going to do batman no it would have to go through warner brothers etc etc but even still like every director wants to put their own kind of spin on things so i don't necessarily know that anyone would do batman no outright it'd be fun it'd be super fun i mean I would really like to see more directors just maybe get the, the permission to try and adapt more works like this, kind of like with um, 
300 or even maybe something like uh it's a little more like page for panel sin city even though that wasn't yeah. really well received but i'm just saying like it's not impossible but th- there would be a lot of hurdles you know mm-hmm. a little bit a lot of effort would we have would um have to be put into it to make it you know to adapt it from from the graphic novel it is i mean it's like you said it's not impossible but it would definitely be a lot more effort and it would if if they did it right it would probably pay off so i feel like if it had better luck adapting anywhere i would agree with you in in live action because if you mm-hmm. can you can look at this and literally use it as a template to create a bat suit to create gotham to create an aesthetic for the joker penguin two-face whoever I mean, yeah. um, it, it's really unfortunate Heath Ledger's no longer here, but that's not to say that that kind of aesthetic for the Joker can't live on in, a, in another actor somewhere down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the smeared ugly face paint, the just, just, just the, pay for the face paint in general, period, the very slick back, slimy hair, the, the long coat. Like, I, I really feel like that version of the Joker still has a lot of life. I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Agree 100%. And even like, I haven't seen all of Hush, but I don't think they really did a good job of create recreating Jim Lee's artwork for Hush. The Hush animated one either, too. He's the other one that's kind of hard to recreate, too. Yeah, that one was also a little difficult, too, because they tried to kind of have their cake and eat it, too, by making that one also a simultaneous slot in with uh, their rest of that Jeez. little animated universe. Yeah. So that, that one kind of suffered a little bit due to a bit of a compromise. But hey, can't win where you can. Uh, take the ones where you can get them, right? Exactly. <laughs> take the ones where you can. Exactly. Latest episode of Superhero Stress. Check it out where you get your podcast. <laughs> Thank you for that. That was a great setup. <laughs> <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, God awful shameless plug. Slap my hand. <laughs> Horrible me. <pain. laughs> I have served it in like a softball for you. I tossed it in there underhanded for you to crush. So. And then I hit a home run. <laughs> so now you know that I'm not being on your show. <laughs> oh, I, I invite a lot of people on my show. I'm I'm not one of those pretentious people who just you know invites everyone willy nilly and then forgets about them. I try and bring people on when they can, if they can. Well, you always have a place here if you want it. Back at you. We'll have to get you on. Get you guys on the show sometime. Let's talk about some more superheroic stuff. Absolutely. So, so Batman Noel, A plus plus across the board from the whole panel here. Find it if you can. Read it. Go digital if you have to. No shame in that. We understand though. You'd rather hold it in your hand. I want to hold that beautiful artwork in your hand, but go out and find it. Read it. You will be disappointed. So, I wanted to do something fun and creative with everybody on the show. So I had them try to pick another comic book character and give them the Christmas Carol treatment with the characters in that person's universe. So they had to pick their own Scrooge, Bob Cratchit, Jacob Marley, Ghost of Christmas Past, Present and Future, and Bob Cratchit and a tiny... They also had to pick... And this is supposed to be a comic version in a way. So they had to pick their own writer, artist, 
and think of a Christmassy title. So, Phil, we'll start with you. Oh, I get to go first. Okay. (laughs) Well, my take on a Christmas tarot is a little, um, it's a bit of a bit of a switch. It kind of takes it. And uh, my hero that I chose was Wonder Woman. Interesting. And it's called Diana's Christmas Carol, written by Tom Taylor, hopefully drawn by David Finch. Huge Tom Taylor fan, huge David Finch fan. Uh, I had Diana as Scrooge. I had Cassie Sandsmark, the second Wonder Girl, as Bob. I had Donna Troy as Jacob. I have Steve Trevor as the Ghost of Christmas Past. I have Hippolyta as the Ghost of Christmas Present. And then I have Ares as the Ghost of Christmas Future. And then for Tiny Tim, I have Tim Drake. Um, essentially what it is, is, um, Diana is in Themyscira for the holidays and she's also accompanied and in the presence of Cassie Sandsmark, who she is obviously training to be the next Wonder Girl. And also unbeknownst to the rest of the Amazons, Tim Drake, who is there on his own terms, spending the holidays with them because Batman is off away on some other adventure. Um, so... In, in essence, uh, Diana has taken over as leader of the Amazons, and she is, in, in, in wake of all this, in wake of being queen, now queen of the Amazons, and also seeing Cassie and Tim spend their time together at Christmas, she's also kind of brought back with her own memories of Steve and of Donna Troy, and also the fact that Bruce is... I think the way I really wanted it to go, it's just kind of a base idea, but Bruce is essentially getting to try and spend Christmas with Catwoman or whoever he's with. So Diana, really, it's really a, 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 a Scrooge story about her feeling more alone on Christmas than anything. Mm-hmm. And she's visited by the three, you know, Christmas ghosts of past, present, future to basically come to a decision regarding Tim and Cassie because Cassie and Tim get caught up by a couple Amazons or they get basically the way I haven't really thought out the details of it yet, but essentially Tim and Cassie wind up in some trouble. Tim is fatally wounded and Diana has to make a choice of whether or not to save his life or to let it be on the mascara because the mascara has those certain kind of laws, you know, but now that she's queen of the Amazons, there's a bit of other play in there as well essentially what happens is she's visited by steve reminded of what it means to be loved she's visited by queen hippolyta and told you know no matter what you are you're wonder woman you're going to do what's best for you and you need you will always make the right decision and then of course she's visited by aries who shows her you know just absolute chaos mayhem and hell if she goes through with letting yum ting drake die Mm -hmm. I love that. (laughs) I really want that to be a thing right now. (laughs) I mean, actually. Well done, sir. Yeah, well done. (laughs) I I was actually thinking about sort of doing like a Wonder Woman take on it. But for me, I was really stuck on, on characters and what to do with them. And so well done for creating a pretty cool thing it sounds like so i <laughs> uh, give jared all the props he's the one who came up with the idea <laughs> incredibly last minute too though yeah <laughs> yeah it was certainly uh it was it was a challenge it was like okay 
just sit and think <laughs> who can I who can I use and on that subject um, I'll share what I came up with and my uh, superhero of choice is Green Lantern and Hal Jordan Green Lantern and the title of my story is A Christmas Lantern and it's written by Jeff Johns and the artist is Jim Lee and the people I picked for it I really did some digging because I have read a few Green Lantern stories, but I'm not familiar with all the characters, so I did some digging, and I pretty well picked characters who I think would be perfect for each of these characters. So um, for Bob Cratchit, I picked Ganthet, who's a guardian. He's somebody who care, someone who cares for the well-being of others before himself. He's learned many life lessons, so he would have the motivation to teach meaningful lessons to others. And he also, he was one who played a crucial role in resurrecting Hal, who was revealed to be possessed by the fear entity Parallax in Green Lantern Rebirth. So he's got some history there, so I think he would be a good um, Bob Cratchit character. And then I chose for Ghost of Christmas Future, John Stewart, the Master Builder. Um, it would be sort of based on his failing to avoid or stop situations in life, because he had a few moments of... Like, he didn't, he, he couldn't avoid them, he couldn't stop them, so he could show how sort of things that he's run into and teach him, like, okay, this is what your future could be if you avoid this, if you don't do this, if you don't change. Sort of put that little bit of fear into him, but, you know, not, but enough that it would be, okay, I need to change this. Um, uh, and then I picked... Uh, for Jacob Marley, Thomas Kalmaku, I think is how you say his name. Um, he worked with Hal. He would be there for Hal to help him and rescue him on occasion, which he does in, in the comics and stories. Um, he he knows him, and he would take the moment to warn him of what's coming, like the visitors that he's going to have, and, you know. And so then I picked, for Ghost of Christmas Past, Appa Al, Ali Apsa, who is an old-timer sort of mad guardian. Um, and he would take that moment to teach a life lesson after he himself learning many. So his experiences from that past, he would bring it to Hal and teach him. And and then he's he's a caring and compassionate character, so he would be sort of the one to bring him, like, this is the past and looking at it and give him a, a good picture of things. And then Isabel, uh, love interest, um, obviously, like, would be Carol Ferris, because obviously a love interest for Hal, a significant love interest for him. And then, <laughs> uh, Ghost of Christmas Present, I picked. Now, this one, the last two I felt were a little bit of a challenge for me, but Ghost of Christmas Present I picked as Barry Allen, Flash, because he's someone who's protective of those around him. He'll do anything to make sure they're safe. He could give Hal a good sort of picture of his present life and that this is what you need to do to fix it. And... You know, if he wants that good life, he has to make sacrifices, but those sacrifices pay off in the end. And Tiny Tim, I picked his Airwave, who is a nephew and apprentice of Hal Jordan. So something happens to him in the story, and Hal f feels for him. And so there's that connection of, okay, you know, fix it. Um, so then my story kind of plays on um, Hal's origin of him being kicked out of the military for assaulting an officer and was reduced to an engineer giving planes tune-ups. So kind of a, only focusing on his work 
And he keeps being called to become a protector by Abin Sir, who is a dying alien. Uh, Sir wanted Hal to replace him in the Green Lantern Corps. So there, he kind of keeps he keeps keeping an eye on him and watching him. And it's like, okay, you need to... Um, this is what I'd like you to do because I feel that you are the person to do it. And Hal refuses. He's like, no, this is the life I'm, I've picked and, you know, not very stubborn about it. And so then after visits with ghosts of old friends and people he has connections with, um, Hal makes that change. So that is my story. <laughs> nice. And I, I, when uh, Melissa first told me that she picked Green Lantern, my first words out of my mouth were, you bitch. Because that was what I was going to go for. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was almost certain she was going to pick Iron Man. Oh. And if she wasn't going to pick Iron Man, she was going to pick the Flash. <laughs> my, my original choices were Iron Man, uh, Wonder Woman, and and the flash but i was i was really going for iron man but then i kind of realized i haven't read a single marvel comic and i don't know i'm not familiar with any writers or artists in marvel comic genre so i was like and then like i know the characters and things from the movies and stuff so i stepped off that and then i i I'm more familiar in the sort of DC universe. And then I thought, eh, no, I like, I want a Green Lantern. So that's what I went with. And of course, <laughs> yeah, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of artists and writers pretty much interchange between the two brands anyway. So you yeah. throw a dart, you'd hit a name that's worked on both sides of the, worked on both sides of the fence. Yeah. A lot of them, like, when I was sort of looking, it was like, oh, former things, like, former artists of this and that. And uh, If I'm not really familiar with their work, then I, I'm not really going to... I wanted somebody who I was really familiar with, so kind of... <laughs> that's what I went with, so... Nice. Makes a lot of sense. Well, yeah. well I feel like the way I'm prepared one right now is... <laughs> <laughs> With uh, my Christmas story, it's just called Christmas Patrol. So guess which universe I'm going off of? <laughs> um, but I did pick uh, Robot Man is my Ebenezer Scrooge, Cliff Steele. And but I went a different route for the writer and artist. I went with Paul Dini. Mostly because he works with Christmas stuff. He does love his Christmas, mm. and because I've, I've been, I'm still reading. I'm halfway through his book that he wrote, the character he created called Jingle Bell, which is an elf is supposed to be Santa's daughter. If you guys are familiar with that one at all, mm-hmm. it's it's a fun little comic, nothing too serious. But I also thought of it for how way Paul Dini can just rein in, like look how he essentially recreated Mr. Freeze for Batman animated series. Took him from being this corny character in the comics in the Batman show in 66 and turned him into the Mr. Freeze we know now. He brought that kind of heart and seriousness to it. So I thought he would be the perfect one who could do a Christmas story and bring a kind of seriousness to Robot Man. Mm. 
And I hey, picked my art by Greg Capullo because I'd like to see him kind of tackle some of the characters in this universe. And uh, I don't really have a well thought out plan, uh, thought out plot like you guys do. I just have it sort of set between the Grant Morrison, Rachel Pollock runs of Doom Patrol, where Cliff is in a Cliff is in a mental institution. He's just kind of recuperating from everything he's going through because I've read some that he spent some time in a mental institution trying to just cope with shit that's happened in his life. And um, for my Bob Cratchit, I picked uh, Dr. Will Magnus, who created the Metal Men, because at least two times I've read that uh, he has had to help rebuild uh, Robot Man. Uh, first, in the original run of the Doom Patrol back in the 60s, when uh, Robot Man, Elastigirl, Rita Farr, and Larry Trainer sacrificed themselves a couple of villains essentially killed them off when it was uh, discovered that robot man's brain survived. So Magnus built him a new body. So uh, that was his Cratchit. Uh, Jacob Marley. I had his Rita Farr just being the former coworker of his who died in that sacrifice. And she's just trying to lead him away from giving that warning with the ghost of Christmas past being the chief, Dr. Niles Calder, who it is later revealed as in the show, just like in the comics, he is responsible for Cliff's accident that caused him to be who he is. Because in the Chief's mind, the reason why he causes the accidents of Rita, Larry, and Cliff is so they were such despicable human beings. He's trying to make them more respectable people as freaks, as he more or less calls it. Uh, which I guess made the easy call for Isabel would be crazy Jane because in the comics they do have a romantic storyline and they meet that institution and Grant Morrison's run and they eventually have a falling out when they're living in Danny the world because Jane comes to peace with her 64 personalities and when they start causing problems between Cliff and Jane Cliff leaves her and goes back to the real world and leaves her in Danny the world uh, Ghost of Christmas Present I had as Larry Trainer because it is found out that he also survived the uh, sacrifice the original Doom Patrol had. And I thought there was no better one than Larry to be there with him is the the ever suffering Larry Trainer mm-hmm. who's gonna be there to show him the light. Uh, for Tiny Tim, I had Dorothy Spinner and her imaginary friends because after another run, there is another run where I believe it's the candle maker destroys Cliff and some of the members of the Doom Patrol and Dorothy and her imaginary friends along with Dr. Will Magnus again help rebuild Cliff and they uh, Dorothy helps the, Dorothy and her friends um, help rebuild his brain again and with the Ghost of Christmas feature I put uh, Kate Godwin who I believe her character name is Calagula who is one of DC's first transgender characters who does also have a, a relationship with Cliff later on in the story arc. I believe it's after Rachel Pollock's run to, and, uh, and I guess the reason why I picked her is because there is an arc where, um, what is it? Uh, they meet at, her and Cliff meet up with Dorothy sometime and they explain to Dorothy that she, Dorothy is adopted and the news of this puts Dorothy in such a fit that she ends up eventually killing Cliff 
and uh, Coagula and some other characters too, or so it's thought. So mine's not as well thought as you guys because mine was incredibly last minute. So I feel I should have gone first and let you guys finish strong. (laughs) (laughs) I just I wanted Robot Man in there, and I wanted Paul Dini to write it. That's all I knew. I mean, both you guys have some pretty strong talent on both sides. Um, Jeff Johns is pretty recognizable for a lot of Green Lanterns, so that definitely makes a lot of sense. And Jim Lee is one of the most talented, seminal artists DC has to offer. Uh, Mm -hmm. Paul Dini writing that kind of story for the Doom Patrol. I really want to see that. That just sounds like a winning combination all around, and I would love to see Greg Capullo draw that too. Mm -hmm. Uh, Who was the artist you chose, Phil? Oh, uh, David Finch. David Finch. And what has he done? Good. Uh, bat, he's done some some of Batman Eternal. He's done some um, some Justice League. He's done. Um, I think he's done. I think he's done Batman too. He's uh, a pretty talented artist. That's for darn sure. And Tom Taylor is also, um, he's the writer that I chose. He, again, did Injustice. He's also done Deceased. And, um, okay, that's where that name's familiar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I haven't finished Deceased, but I'm definitely digging it. I haven't read it. I've only played the Injustice games. I haven't read the books. Oh, uh, as also as far as David Finch, he also did he did Justice League of America and he did Batman Seven Hundred. That's really his big stuff that I remember him from. Batman Seven Hundred is that a is that a Scarecrow story? Oh, uh, I'm not entirely sure. So I'm almost certain I've read Batman Seven Hundred. I thought it was a Scarecrow story. What am I? Hmm. I have to reach back into my the dig through my comics after we get off the air here and look through. It's going to drive me nuts now. Uh, it might be. I'm not sure, but it's definitely. Uh, you you look at the cover and you go, okay, that's David Finch. Yeah, that's nice. the Taylor is definitely have to get more familiar with. Besides deceased, I'm going to look up some more of his stuff. Uh, just for the record, Injustice, uh, the majority of um, majority of it is on DC Universe, and that's where I read it. I'm in year two. Uh, I I read all of year one today, in between my shift, throughout my shift, in between my shift. So that was fun. Now I'm in year two. Probably be reading that later. I'll definitely have to look into that. I'm going to be traveling here pretty soon for work, so I guess I can take that with me and read it there. Oh, it's great. I love it. But I also love characters done in different kind of ways because I'm weird like that. So just a whole basing a whole universe on the idea that Superman snaps, kills the Joker and becomes a, you know, a dictator. That's actually a pretty interesting concept to play with in in the long term if you include the entire DC universe. Yeah, it is either that or. Or a flashpoint, a proper flashpoint. Would mind seeing that too. Yeah, like kind of a revived flashpoint world where Thomas Wayne's still Batman, Martha Wayne's the Joker. I don't know how you'd have that exist without some kind of flash, but I, I don't know. And 
That was one thing I say upset me the most about when the whole Zack Snyder thing got put to bed is I'd never get to see uh, what's her name now, Lauren Cohen as the Joker now. To see her Martha Wayne as the Joker, I'm like, oh man. Ah, uh, I I don't know. Uh, I'm not saying yes or no that couldn't happen. I mean, whether or not that was the case, I know Jeffrey Morgan kind of teased at the idea of being a Flashpoint Batman, which badass idea totally which you know if, if you're gonna go that route i mean at that point yeah you would kind of have to go you know full throttle with it and probably include Laura, lauren cohen as the joker which again really interesting concept and we've now seen stuff like that is very much viable at the box office if you have a good story to tell i mean look at the joker movie it, it was made on a 50 50 60 million dollar budget and it it had a it had a story to tell and it really sang with a lot of general audiences people whether or not people liked or hated it 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 spoke to people mm-hmm. whether or not that message was positive which it kind of feels like it was because you didn't see too much you know terrorism or violent acts coming out of the wake of that movie you actually saw a lot of people respect artistic integrity a lot more you saw people standing up for what they believe in you saw people dressing up like joaquin phoenix Probably in part because Joaquin Phoenix is just that inspirational of an actor, but also because just like that look of the Joker was from day one of that that photo being revealed. It was just kind of captivating in what is this story about kind of way. Um, I'm not really big on the movie personally, but I think it did kind of knock down that barrier or that idea that that comic book movies need to be, you know, made a certain way. I mean, you could argue probably Batman versus Superman was definitely a a, a pillar in that regard too, because it absolutely is. But I I, th- I really think that Joker is really the movie that that kind of made it possible to really push the boundaries of what it means to make a comic book movie, even if Todd Phillips didn't even intend to you know necessarily make the Joker movie as I'm going to do a comic book movie this way. He intended to make his movie is, you know, I'm going to make this dark character study, but under the guise of a comic book movie, some would see that as deceitful. And I get that. That's your perception. That's fine. But if it, if it's the way that Todd Phillips felt compelled to tell a story, that's cool. I just hope that more creators embrace the idea of wanting to kind of push the boundaries with, certain characters like that and it's it you know it's really funny you brought that up jared because a lot of people really do feel like Zack snyder kind of kicks puppies when it comes to superman and it's just like that's really not the case he's just making superman exquisitely more human than he's been depicted in prior interpretations so yeah i i'm i'm all for it me too and i guess when you say how he's trying to make him more human i i really this may or may not make him feel more human, but my favorite scene from Man of Steel has to be that part where Clark is in his class and it's just sitting there freaking out because his powers are just coming to him all of a sudden right in the middle of class and he is not knowing what how to cope with anything. And he runs to that closet in the middle of the hall in the hallway and they have to call his mother and to coax him out and like this poor kid has all this stuff happening to him and he does not know what the hell is happening to him and does not know how to cope with it. It's kind of, I would say like eye opening so much, but it, it, I guess it kind of makes you think in a, in a way like how, if you were in that situation, how would you cope with all that hitting you at once too? It seems like. Yeah. Especially at what is believed to be, you know, the age of six or seven like how 
how does a six or seven year old cope with the idea of all these things happening to him at once? All of a sudden he's sitting in class taking notes one second, then the next second he's looking up and he's seeing his teachers inside outs. He's looking over and seeing, you know, Sally's skeletal structure. And then he just all of a sudden sees the clock whirling faster than a speeding bullet. It's like, how does a seven year old cope with that? And then he runs away. Like what, what do children do when they're afraid? They run. I don't know. I, it just it just kind of astonishes me that that people want to kind of box Batman and Superman into just, you know, these very two dimensional rays where they have to be kept a certain kind of way. No matter what you do, you know, Batman can't kill and and Superman has to smile or Superman has to, you know, just be nice and be cordial all the damn time. And it's just like. I am so far down the road on that conversation it's not even funny because i am just so sick and tired of seeing batman and superman portrayed the same way almost every single time they bring it back around we we brought you a perfect example of batman tonight that can be done in a perfect way and done successfully exactly it all comes together (laughs) like one nation or as Cliff says in the Doom Patrol show, one love. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, I love Brendan Fraser as Robot Man because I just love his line delivery every time. He says, Fuck! <laughs> Fuck! Fuck! <laughs> Motherfucker! What the what fuck? The fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's just so funny. It's so good. Yeah, it's such a, it's so genuine too. Like it's just a genuine fuck. <laughs> like imagine being Brendan Fraser and and that's your pitch on Doom Patrol. You're a giant robot. You get to say fuck all the time. Brendan Fraser's like hell yeah. I mean fuck yeah. <laughs> I don't think for Brendan Fraser, but I I I kind of wonder if that's how the pitch went. Like you're a giant robot and get to say fuck all the time. I mean. To, you don't get that opportunity all the time, so I would think he would be like, "Ah, oh, fuck yes." You're absolutely <laughs> right. That's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. How often does someone get told, "Hey, do you want to play a robot?" and just constantly say, "Fuck, what the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and he, and I, it, I love Robot Man so much. Oh my god, he's just—he's great. <laughs> agreed. It's just great to have Brendan Fraser back in the scene again and to have him play this character. Oh, such a just such a great, great character for him, too, because he he sells like the dad trying to do better. But he also just kind of sells the the robot. That's just kind of he's a robot, but he can only do so much. And and everything around him is just rapidly advancing, you know. (laughs) Yeah, just perfect. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. (laughs) <laughs> just like Batman Noel is a perfect Elseworlds story. Absolutely. There you go. Speak, <laughs> speaking of segues, <laughs> any closing thoughts on our own little Christmas Carol project before we bring it on home? I enjoyed everyone's pitch. It was a really fun idea. You should definitely try and do this for a lot of other holidays too, if you can. We'll have to bring it back, and I'll give you, I'll give you more warning this time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely gonna have to try and find some more Christmassy theme ideas to try and 
morph into superheroes or some such. I, I don't know. But this well, was I'm... definitely this was definitely a good idea. Mm. I, I definitely. Um... I, I want to see these your like Jared's and and yours stories come to life because I love both figures. <laughs> needs to somebody listening needs to make this a thing, please. <laughs> if Paul, uh, Bruce, Tim, if you're listening to this episode, I know you are. <laughs> Sorry about the Batman damned comment. <laughs> If you if you want to have Batgirl bang Batman on a roof like he did in Killing Joke, I guess fine, but please make these come to life. Yep. If Tom Taylor by happens happenstance happens to listen to this and goes, well, actually, I think they legally can't do our stories if they actually happen to hear it because then it then they put themselves at risk. I've actually seen writers and artists talk about like, no, I'm sorry, I, I can't listen to your fan pitch because that it that it would like, you know, <laughs> legal conversations. Just nah, I I just don't see a lot of creators just doing that just out of sheer respect, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. But we can we can we can dream, we can imagine things, and you know, it's it's always fun putting different characters into different situations and not the situations that they're normally in or that you know them to be in. And so, you know, it would be pretty neat to see, you know, these other characters in that sort of same situation or a different situation altogether because, you know, the, these characters have so many layers to themselves and you got to explore that. And I love when that's explored because you really get to know the character. You dive deep into the character, their world and everything. And so, yeah. Just gave me an idea. How does the Joker handle Thanksgiving? (laughs) Without trying to taunt Batman. What is a joke? What does a Joker hosted Thanksgiving look like when he's not trying to taunt Batman? That's a that's a fun idea. <laughs> hmm. hmm. I'll definitely get back to you on that one. Yeah. Hmm. I need some time to think on that one. <laughs> You're welcome. Don't thank me. Don't thank me. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, when I'm not, when I don't get any sleep tonight, I wake up at five o'clock. Alarm goes off at five thirty. Like, damn it, Phil. <laughs> 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 it'll be it'll be three thirty where you are, and I hope you're still awake. <laughs> it's actually about seven o'clock my time, so I'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna think about that all night now. <laughs> it's gonna be running through my head. <laughs> he he, Joker would be. <sighs> he he would be. Very fakely, if that's even a word, but I'm making it now. Sweet, I think. If he if he didn't if he was not allowed to taunt Batman or do anything mean to him, he would be like through. I think a little bit of gritted teeth. Of okay, we're doing. <laughs> I've made like if he's hosting, I've made this nice dinner, and we're gonna. <laughs> What if that, it's that set hilarious? What if it's set in Arkham and he does it begrudgingly 
because Batman is out in the world getting to experience Thanksgiving with his Bat family, and he's stuck in Arkham with all of Gotham's degenerates. So he's like, you know what? To hell with it. I'm just going to have my own Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, at at the heart of his core, he's very thankful for Batman. He just loves to pester the shit out of Batman, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. I think he could also embrace it too because he's just so thankful for Batman. If it wasn't for Batman, I wouldn't be here with all you fine kooks, now would I? <laughs> now don't worry, I've coaxed the cook into making a giant turkey. Yes, Nigma, you'll get your wings, don't worry, Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's going to make Harley make it. What if Harley's the cook? He is the show, he's a chauvinist. He'll make Harley make it. <laughs> I don't know. This was definitely a lot of fun. Now I'm just kind of rolling through my mind of what other kind of <laughs> holiday stories you could write easily. I mean, you know, with um, just you brought it up earlier. I mean, Tim Sale and Jeff Loeb, they did a really good job with the long Halloween, which goes 12 months. But even still, like the, the Halloween motif sticks throughout that story pretty well, I think. And Batman Noel, beautiful Christmas story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So next episode would be Flash and Arbor Day. Why why why, why you got to skip New Year's, man? <laughs> What's the matter with New Year's? Can't I don't find really a good wanna... enough hero? All right, fine. Uh, <laughs> I really don't want to think about what 2021 is going to bring just yet. I'm not ready for it yet. I'm not prepared. We already know what 21, 2021 is going to bring. The entire Warner slate on HBO Max. Well, come on, That's man. It's true. true. Mortal Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Dude, what are you doing? Mortal Kombat Space Jam? Oh yeah. <laughs> starring starring LeBron James. LeBron, don't compare me to Michael Jordan, yet I'm gonna star in a sequel to his movie, James. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. And where is number? Don't compare me to Michael Jordan. I'm gonna wear 23. Just don't compare me to Michael he Jordan. Better, he, he better not wear Michael Jordan's number. <laughs> Better not. <laughs> I I just pictured thinking putting characters in different holidays. It's like I just pictured Joker dressed up as the Easter Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> I want to read that story. Oh, I want to read that story now. Where the Joker's the Easter Bunny. <laughs> oh, oh, that's perfect. he's got it he's got to say rotten at least once he's got to call someone a rotten egg at least once Uh, oh god jared i'm sorry i must have i must i must laugh so loud i was hurting his ears (laughs) yeah you broke my vocal cords oh god i'm sorry I didn't realize my microphone was that loud. I'm so sorry. No, uh, no, Melissa did it when she said Joker is the Easter Bunny. Oh. <laughs> I had a cough and I laughed at the same time and it, it broke me. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> a year and a half later, she finally broke me. Yes. <laughs> One for me. Well, I mean, everyone's go-to is April Fool's, but the idea of him in a bunny suit's just so much better. <laughs> right? Talk about it a pink It absolutely nightmare. needs to happen. 
Jim Lee, please draw the Joker in an Easter Bunny outfit if you're listening to this. Yes! (laughs) He would be the most demented Easter Bunny ever, and it would be perfect. (laughs) He's got to draw it side by side. He kidnaps kidnaps Ralphie from Christmas Story, who's also wearing the same pink pajamas. Now who's the pink tonight? <laughs> Careful, Ralphie. You shoot your eye out. Well, maybe I will. <laughs> oh, careful, Batman. Looks like Robin's laid a rotten egg. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> On that note... <laughs> Phil, thank you for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, where can the listeners keep up with you? Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. It was an absolute blast coming on to Nerd Night Nation podcast. Uh, if anyone wants to follow me on any social media, you can follow me on Vero, Twitter, or Instagram, just at unfiltered, U-N-P-H-I-L-T-E-R-E-D-D-D. Three Ds, not five. And also, if you want to follow the Superhero Stress show, you can so on Twitter. There's a superhero stress twitter page other than that yeah that's about wit where you can find me since where i am mostly Uh, melissa where can they find you uh they can find me on uh twitter and instagram uh you can find me on twitter at miss melissa n25 it's all lowercase nothing fancy or special or extra letters (laughs) really easy um, on Instagram, you can find me at the same handle at Miss Melissa N25. Um, I also have a page for all the drawings and art I do, um, and it's called Scribbles of a Wannabe Drawer. So you can find me on there if you wish. Um, and that's it. So where can they find you, Jared? You can find me trolling around Jim Lee's Twitter page, getting him to draw a picture of a uh, Joker in a bunny costume. make sure you look for the twitter handle at qca underscore m-i-s-t-a-j uh tribute to well joker what do you know um that's also my uh instagram handle um i recently just did an episode of i love that movie with with uh, lisa talking about my one of my favorite christmas movies gremlins so look for that wherever you find your podcasts um a podcast as a whole, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Nerd Dive Nations Podcast. You can also find us on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts now. And while I'm at it, don't forget to follow Superhero Stress. It is a great show. I have jumped on fairly recently, and I, I believe one of the first episodes I listened to was either Batman Beyond Return of the Joker or Under the Red Hood. I've been hooked ever since. It might have been a pal-over episode you had with Lisa, too. Just a general discussion episode, too, when I first jumped on. But uh, Sounds about right. It comes highly recommended from me. You will be disappointed if you love your superhero content like I do. And uh, don't forget, for any of the shows we just mentioned, don't forget to leave a review and a rating. It helps all of us nerds get in the ether so you can find us and spread the word of nerd. So uh, the Christmas season is coming. Times are still tough. We're still being told to stay away from everybody. 
and stay safe. But always remember, it's the time of the year to be good to one another. So always remember, be excellent to each other. And party on, dudes. Merry Christmas, guys. Thanks for... The thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.